Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host this evening for the Gifts to Freedom brought to you by our producer, Leslie Gist. If you, uh, and happy 4th of July to those individuals out there celebrating America's birthday. And if you tune in to Leslie's public Facebook page, that's L-E-S-L-E-Y, Gist, you will note that there is a post in reference to Sojourner Truth, who was actually emancipated on the 4th of July in 1827 in New York. And due to an act that was called an act for the gradual abolition of slavery, uh, the act actually passed in 1799. However, there was a provision that that, uh, slaves born to women after July 4th, 1799, would be free. The males would be free at age 28 and females at age 25. Until then, they were still the uh, property of the mother's slaveholder. Slaves already in servitude before July 4th, 1799, remained slaves for life. However, they were reclassified as indentured servants. And again, if you want to learn more about that, log on to Leslie Gist public Facebook page. Again, that's L-E-S-L-E-Y-G-I-S-T to learn more about that. And what led up to that act, uh, prior to that, uh, the activity of kidnappers, cheats, they were selling slaves out of the state in spite of the laws uh, to the contrary, and uh, that gave the uh, fire and fuel in the New York legislature to pass uh, the Act for Gradual Abolition of Slavery in the state of New York. Uh, the governor at that time uh, was fully behind uh, that particular act. That was Governor Daniel Tompkins. And uh, I'm going to read a quote here uh, that he thought would be a motive for slave owners. I do therefore respectfully but earnestly recommend to the legislature to establish some future day not more remote than the fourth day of July, 1827, 
on which slavery shall cease in this state. Before the arrival of that period, most colored persons born previous, uh, excuse me, most colored persons born previous to the 4th of July, 1799, and others are now free by the existing laws, will have become of very little value to their owners. Indeed, many of them will, by that time, have become expensive burdens. To fix a date thus remote for general emancipation will consequently impair, in a very small degree, any private right and will, at the same time, consistent with the humanity of a free and prosperous people. And again, one of those uh, slaves, um, they were freed, were Sojourner Truth, who named herself. And, of course, history tells us that she was to be the most remarkable person uh, freed by that act of 1827 in the state of New York. In light of the uh, voting rights uh, gutting uh, recently by the Supreme Court, we're going to play uh, Fannie Lou Hammer's speech at the Democratic National Convention. As you know, Fannie was beaten unmercifully for trying to fight for voting rights. Uh, and we're going to be getting that queued up uh, here in a moment. Um I want you to tune in Sunday when my guest will be David Lesser, who's the owner of an antique bookstore in Woodbridge, uh, Connecticut. And he'll be here to talk about what he has in his collection of uh, books. Uh, the voting rights uh, legislation not legislation, a Supreme Court decision. Uh, you'll recall in 1865, it was the hallmark of the uh, civil rights movement. That legislation was passed, and the uh, Supreme Court recently, um, in effect, for all practical purposes, gutted the Voting Rights uh, Act of, eight, of 1965. And uh, the... Uh, Justice Ginsburg, who was writing uh, for the minority in her dissent, and I want to quote what she had to write, throwing out part of the Voting Rights Act when it has worked and is continuing to work to stop discriminatory practice charges. It's like throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet. Um, so that was her take on it. And uh, getting back to our guest on Sunday, uh, David Lesser, who is a bookstore owner in Woodbridge, uh, Connecticut. Uh, going through his website, I came across something that I wasn't aware of, uh, very interesting. And he has in his uh, store for sale a book by F.C. Adams. And in that book, he's talking about the washers and scrubbers, the men who robbed them. 
and the blackest chapter in the history of the Republican Party, the man who robbed and combined to rob the freedmen of their hard earnings. Uh, seems to be a very good, uh, a very good take uh, on a little-known chapter of our history, the Freedmen's Bureau, which was established immediately after emancipation for free blacks established bank accounts, uh, also established uh, employee contracts, uh, and uh, several other things. So that's just a little tidbit. Also, uh, excuse me for skipping back and forth here, but in reference to that uh, Voting Rights uh, Act, you might want to uh, get to a website, www.freetovote.org. And also I want to mention that you can listen to archived shows of the Gist of Freedom at iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. And Sunday, our show will be coming to you over www.blackhistoryblog.com. So tune in and get to that uh, to that iTunes, and you're going to find uh, uh, treasure trove uh, programs focusing on American history through Black literature. Okay, I think we're ready now to uh, bring up uh, a listen on Fannie Lou Hamer. Uh, at the uh, Democratic National Convention. Good evening and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Mr. Chairman, and to the Credentials Committee, my name is Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer, and I live at 626 East Lafayette Street, Rooseville, Mississippi, Sunflower County, the home of Senator James O. Eastland and Senator Stennis. It was the 31st of August in 1962 that 18 of us traveled 26 miles to the county courthouse in Indianola to try to register to become first-class citizens. We was met in Indianola with, by policemen, highway patrolmen, and they only allowed two of us in to take the literacy test at the time. After we had taken this test and started back to Roosevelt, we were held up by the city police and the state highway patrolman and carried back to Indianola where the bus driver was charged that day with driving a bus the wrong color. After we paid the fine among us, we 
continued on to Roosevelt, and Reverend Jeff Sonny carried me four miles in the rural area where I had worked as a timekeeper and sharecropper for 18 years. I was met there by my children that told me the plantation owner was angry because I had gone down, tried to register. After they told me, my husband came and said the plantation owner was raising cane because I had tried to register. And before he quit talking, the plantation owner came and said, Fannie Lou, do you know, did Pap tell you what I said? And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I mean that, that if you don't go down and withdraw your registration, you will have to leave. That then if you go down and withdraw, that you still might have to go because we are not ready for that in Mississippi. And I addressed him and told him that I didn't try to register for you. I tried to register for myself. I had to leave that same night. On the 10th of September, 1962, 16 bullets were fired into the home of Mr. and Mrs. Robert Tucker for me. That same night, two girls were shot in Roosevelt, Mississippi. Also, Mr. Joe McDonald's house was shot in. In June the 9th, 1963, I had attended a voter registration workshop, was returning back to Mississippi. Ten of us was traveling by the company little trailway bus. When we got to Winona, Mississippi, which is Montgomery County, four of the people got off to use the washroom. And two of the people, to use the restaurant, two of the people wanted to use the washroom. The four people that had gone in to use the restaurant was ordered out during this time I was on the bus. But when I looked through the window and saw they had rushed out, I got off of the bus to see what had happened. And one of the ladies said it was a state highway patrolman and a chief of police ordered us out. I got back on the bus and one of the persons who had used the washroom got back on the bus too. As soon as I was seated on the bus, I saw when they began to get the five people in a highway patrolman's car. I stepped off of the bus to see what was happening, and somebody screamed from the car that the fire workers was in and said, get that one there. And when I went to get in the car, when the man told me I was under arrest, he kicked me. I was carried to the county jail and put in the booking room. They left some of the people in the booking room and began to place us in sales. I was placed in a cell with a young woman called Miss Vesta Simpson. After I was placed in the cell, I began to hear sounds of licks and screams. I could hear the sounds of licks and horrible screams. And I could hear somebody say, can you say yes, sir, nigger? Can you say yes, sir? And they would say other horrible names. She would say, yes, I can say yes, sir. So well, say it. She said, I don't know you well enough. They beat her I don't know how long. And after
after a while, she began to pray and ask God to have mercy on those people. And it wasn't too long before three white men came to my cell. One of these men was a state highway patrolman. And he asked me where I was from. And I told him, Roosevelt. He said, we're going to check this. And they left my cell, and it wasn't too long before they came back. He said, you are from Roosevelt, all right. And he used the curse word. And he said, we're going to make you wish you was dead. I was carried out of that cell into another cell where they had two Negro prisoners. The state highway patrolman ordered the first Negro to take the blackjack. The first Negro prisoner ordered me by orders from the state highway patrolman for me to lay down on a bunk bed on my face. And I laid on my face. The first Negro began to beat. And I was beat by the first Negro until he was exhausted. I was holding my hands behind me at that time on my left side because I suffered from polio when I was six years old. After the first Negro had beat until he was exhausted, the state highway patrolman ordered the second Negro to take the blackjack. The second Negro began to beat and I began to work my feet. And the state highway patrolman ordered the first Negro had beat to sit on my feet, to keep me from working my feet. I began to scream and one white man got up and began to beat me in my head and tell me to hush. One white man, my dress had worked up high. He walked over and pulled my dress. I pulled my dress down and he pulled my dress back up. I was in jail when Matthew Evers was murdered. All of this is on account of we want to register to become first-class citizens. And if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I question America. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off of the hook because our lives be threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings in America. Thank you. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. my breath after that one. That was Fanny Lou Hamer in her uh, presentation before the Democratic National Convention uh, talking on a number of subjects, uh, mostly the atrocities uh, that she was confronted with, uh, particularly there in the jail scene. Uh, 
where we had an insight into state-sanctioned violence, uh, where two black men were ordered uh, that uh, beat her uh, unmercifully there in a jail uh, at the behest of two state highway patrolmen. Uh, there were a number of people she was talking about the bus rides and the violence uh, they were confronted with on those bus rides uh, Congressman John Lewis was one of those who was uh, beaten on those bus rides and shed his blood and took a lot of lumps uh, for the passage of the Voting Rights Act and I'm sure that he was more than outdone at the recent uh, activity there in the Supreme Court that gutted that Voting Rights Act of 1865. Uh, Fannie Lou sharing uh, that information with Congress of the violence, sharing her personal history, and that she was a sharecropper for 18 years and that the uh, plantation owner was very outdone that she had had the audacity to go down and register vote um, she explained to the convention the literacy test and the harassment uh, after leaving and the number of miles they had to drive to register and, and leaving there in a bus and pulled over by the state police because they were driving a bus of the wrong color and um talked about the violence. Uh, she was in jail when Megger Evers was assassinated. Talked about two women that were shot. Uh, talked about stopping the bus stopping and passengers getting out to use the washroom and, and uh, to use the, the local restaurant. And uh, their attempts failed because they were ordered out by state highway patrolmen. Again, you know, going back and looking on that, uh, and the black man being ordered to beat her is uh, the first instance, if you will, of state-sanctioned black-on-black violence uh, that occurred there in that jail in Mississippi. you would like to comment on what you've just heard or if you have a 4th of July story or how you spent the 4th of July or what the 4th of July means to you you can do that by calling in at 347 324 5552 I want to remind our listeners that this show uh, will be archived at iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com and also there you will find other shows that have been archived for your listening pleasure 
and not only listening but studying. Uh, they are free, and you can download them uh, uh, for no cost. Now what we're going to do is uh, move on, and we're going to listen to John Lewis uh, making a presentation before the Democratic National Convention. Here we go. This act flows from a clear and simple wrong. Its only purpose is to right that wrong. Millions of Americans are denied the right to vote because of their color. This law will ensure them the right to vote. The wrong is one which no American in his heart can justify. The right is one which no American, true to our principles, can deny. Okay, uh, that was Lyndon Baines Johnson, if you, those of you old enough to remember his voice. We're going to start over here and bring up uh, John Lewis, who was speaking to the last convention, uh, National Democratic Convention. Uh, no, it's going to be Lyndon. Okay. All right, we're going to start over here again, and it will be Lyndon Baines Johnson, President of the United States, speaking to the National Democratic Convention. From a clear and simple wrong, its only purpose is to right that wrong. Millions of Americans are denied the right to vote because of their color. This law will ensure them the right to vote. The wrong is one which no American in his heart can justify. The right is one which no American, true to our principles, can deny. In 1957, as the leader of the majority in the United States Senate, speaking in supporting legislation to guarantee to the right of all men a right to vote, I said, this right to vote is the basic right without which all others are meaningless. It gives people, people as individuals, control over their own destinies. Last year, I said, until every qualified person, regardless of the color of his skin, has the right, unquestioned and unrestrained, to go in and cast his ballot in every precinct in this great land of ours, I am not going to be satisfied. Immediately after the election, I directed the Attorney General 
to explore as rapidly as possible the ways to ensure the right to vote. And then last March, with the outrage of Selma still fresh, I came down to this Capitol one evening and asked the Congress and the people for swift and for sweeping action to guarantee to every man and woman the right to vote. In less than 48 hours, I sent the Voting Rights Act of 1965 to the Congress. In little more than four months, the Congress, with overwhelming majorities, enacted one of the most monumental laws in the entire history of American freedom. The members of the Congress, the many private citizens who worked to shape and pass this bill, will share a place of honor in our history for this one act alone. There were those who said this is an old injustice and there is no need to hurry. But 95 years have passed since the 15th Amendment gave all Negroes the right to vote, and the time for waiting is gone. There were those who said smaller and more gradual measures should be tried, but they had been tried. For years and years they had been tried and tried and tried, and they had failed and failed and failed, and the time for failure is gone. There were those who said that this is a many-sided and very complex problem, but however viewed, the denial of the right to vote is still a deadly wrong, and the time for injustice has gone. This law covers many pages, but the heart of the act is plain. Wherever, by clear and objective standards, states and counties are using regulations or laws or tests to deny the right to vote, then they will be struck down. If it is clear that state officials still intend to discriminate, then federal examiners will be sent in to register all eligible voters. When the prospect of discrimination is gone, the examiners will be immediately withdrawn. And under this act, if any county anywhere in this nation does not want federal intervention, it need only open its polling places to all of its people. The central fact of American civilization, one so hard for others to understand, is that freedom and justice and the dignity of man are not just words to us. We believe in them. Under all the growth and the tumult and abundance, we believe. And 
So, as long as some among us are oppressed, and we are part of that oppression, it must blunt our faith and sap the strength of our high purpose. Thus, this is a victory for the freedom of the American Negro, but it is also a victory for the freedom of the American nation. And every family across this great entire searching land will live stronger in liberty, will live more splendid in expectation, and will be prouder to be American because of the act that you have passed that I will sign today. Well, welcome back, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that was Lyndon Baines Johnson talking about the Voting Rights Act, which he signed into law. Um, and, you know, it's surprising uh, Lyndon Johnson would sign that, but then again, not so surprising. Uh, if you read up on Lyndon Baines Johnson, you'll find that he was from a long line of populist individuals there in East Texas, and that his family was dirt poor, going back generations. And uh, he knew a little bit about, that is from a personal standpoint, he knew a little bit about being looked down on. Uh, they faced some prejudices not so much on the color of his skin, but by his economic uh, station there in East Texas. Uh, East Texas was a hard scramble uh, country back in those days. It was hard to get any crops out of that uh, hard scramble land there in East Texas. And uh, you will recall that when Lyndon signed that Voting Rights Act of 1965, he made the comment that he had just handed uh, the South to the Republican Party. Uh, he knew the the consequences of his actions, but I think those his actions were, were deep-rooted in his upbringing. Um, you will notice that he stated that not only would this free, give freedom to the Negro, but also freedom uh, to the nation. And uh, the striking out of those state laws that denied the right to vote, uh, the tests that were uh, required uh, of black folk uh, to, uh, to register to vote. And he also talked about, now this was 1965 that uh, signed that act into law, Voting Rights Act, but it was early, as early as 1957 when the idea began to crystallize in his mind that something had to be done um, in terms of the voting rights of African-Americans and their freedom. 
to vote and have full participation in the democratic process. And um, now this is also coming from a man who was known as Landslide Linden, uh, where in Texas, when he was involved in state politics, um, accused of allegedly stole a number of elections and acquired the nickname Landslide Linden because he was winning votes by two or three vote margins uh, throughout his uh, career in state politics. And uh, voting boxes came up missing there in East Texas in a number of counties when he was involved in state politics. And and when he got into Congress, uh, which was dominated by the South uh, as a congressman, as a senator, I believe, and uh, when he became president, then he had the political will, the political might, uh, the political connections. He knew how the Senate worked. He knew whose arm to twist, whose arm not to twist in order to get this legislation, his legislation, passed. If you'd like to join me here, uh, you can do that at 347 three two four five 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 two and I want to remind you that you can pick up these shows you can download them from iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com and also uh, listen to our show uh, we have one coming up Sunday night with an antique uh, bookstore owner, David Lesser, out of Woodbridge, Connecticut. And uh, that will be coming to you over www.blackhistoryblog.com. And uh, what we have queued up for you now is John Lewis, who will be speaking uh, to the National Democratic Convention, John Lewis, who shed some blood. I first came to this city in 1961, the year Barack Obama was born. I was one of the 13 original Freedom Riders. We were on a bus ride from Washington to New Orleans, trying to test a recent Supreme Court ruling that banned racial discrimination on buses crossing state lines. We tested the waiting room. We said our struggle was not against individuals, but against unjust laws and customs. Our goal was a true freedom for every American. Since then, America has made a lot of progress. We are a different society than we were in 1961. And in 2008, we showed the world the true promise of America when we elected President Barack Obama. A 
A few years ago, a man from Rock Hill, inspired by President Obama's election, decided to come forward. He came to my office in Washington and said, I am one of the people who beat you. I want to apologize. Will you forgive me? I said, I accept your apology. He started crying. He gave me a hug. I hugged him back, and we both started crying. This man and I don't want to go back. We don't want to go back. casting their ballot. Today, it is unbelievable that there are Republican officials are trying to stop some people from voting. They are changing, they are changing the rules. Cutting polling hours and imposing a requirement intended to suppress the vote. The Republican leader in the Pennsylvania House even bragged that his state's new voter ID law is going to allow Governor Romney to win the state. That's not right, that's not fair, and that is not just. <laughs> 